Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Well, good day and welcome to part B of our special two-episode chat with Kev Turnan. In the last episode, we spoke to Kev about his early time in the military and his transfer into become a physical training instructor, including his time at the Special Air Service Regiment. This episode, we're going to focus on some of the work he did while at SASR, including preparing Mon Georgieva as the first female to attempt SAS selection, and then look at the work that he did once he left the Army, including with the famous 98 gym, as well as his time training everyone from celebrities through to professional sports people. As they say in the classics, let's get on with the show. Um, Kip, we've just been talking about mindset, we've just been talking about work ethic, we've just been talking about incredible physical performance. Of course, during this time, um, we talk about it in the book actually, you were involved heavily in Mon Georgieva's preparation to, to be the first uh, female to, to attempt selection. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? This, um, I guess to an outside perspective, is a, a round peg in a square hole, you know, a, a slight human being sort of needing to get some size on but then compromising sort of speed. Can you talk about some of the considerations from the physical side for Mon's prep for selection? Yeah, that was interesting because, you know, in Monica's case, she's got one of the, the, the best mindsets and, and such a tactical brain on her as well that if you could, you know, place her in a, in a different frame, she'd be unstoppable, you know, but I guess that's always the case with people that have to overcome stuff, you know, physicality issues. Um, yeah, so uh, I think she'd, she'd attempted uh, commando selection prior um, but just wasn't able to pass the 3.2. I still remember when she passed that 3.2 and I actually walked away from the line because she come in at 16 minutes flat. I don't know if you remember to go on. And I left Campo standing there because I didn't want to be the guy that passed her. And, and you know, like, I knew there was going to be favoritism issues there. So I actually walked away. He was, he was yelling at me as I was walking away. He's like, don't fucking leave me here. <laughs> like, Sorry, bro. Yeah, I'm out. You've got to make that line call. Um, Kev, yeah. can you just, for, for our audience, explain the 3.2, sort of what it is, but also the significance of it, you know, in terms of a test? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, you know, on your, uh, so for people going through that, that, that funnel towards selection, uh, SASR selection, they, they go through a paperboard, uh, then they walk into, um, uh, once they pass the paperboard, they go into a, uh, an SVET or a special forces entry test. Uh, once, and that's got those, it's about nine to 12 hours long where they go through some physical tests and some, uh, some mental ones and then a board of studies. But on the, the testing is some cadence push-ups and cadence pull-ups um, and then a 3.2 kilometer run in, um, in all the gear. So boots, webbing and rifle. Um, and I still think to this day, I don't know if there's a more uncomfortable test yeah. for you to run, whether it's, you know, because it, it's all out and there is a time frame on it. And there it is. I, I love this about the entry test. And I, and I love this about selection is that there is, there is 
the standard and then that's it. So you can be six foot tall, you can be three foot tall, you can be male, you can be female. It doesn't matter. Like that's the standard, hit it and, you know, and, you know, finish up. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's by far, as you guys know, the hardest thing. It's the gate that uh, we use uh, on, on selection to make sure that someone is, is ready to go. We use it as, a, I guess, as a, uh, an insurance tool that they were fit enough and strong enough and prepared enough to go the, ne- the next step. Um, and training for that is extremely hard because it's just not a natural, mm-hmm. natural thing. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's extremely hard. You're, you're webbing, you could play with the webbing and the web we all have. We used to shift it high, yeah. shift it low. <laughs> we thought everyone, you had different boots for the run as you did on your stomp. It was, you know, there was a real science behind all that bullshit. But unfortunately it was run your guts out if you haven't trained. And if, and another thing, like you said, I guess the laugh on the entry test is that, Guys just try and use adrenaline to get themselves across the line. Like I've never passed, you know, uh, the fastest I've ever run it was sixteen thirty. I thought on the night I could probably do better, which is obviously we know the opposite. You know, you you'll only run worse. You're not going to get better as in a stressful situation. Um, but the hardest thing for us is it, it, on a on a frame is that. Um, stronger legs so if you're let's say you're 80 kilos um and i'm and you've got a back squat of uh let's say 200 kilos um then if i put 10 kilos on you that that relative weight to your frame is quite light because you can shift that because your strength and also we're not just using strength as as a size thing but we're actually thinking about like your ability to mass moving mass um and then your your heart your lungs the blood volume all that thing matters to to pushing this, uh, this, you know, this organism, which is yourself around this track. So the stronger you are, the bigger you are, the easier you will find this because of the the relative weight on your body. Now, Monica, I think was 60 something kilos ringing wet, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the, the, her frame wasn't going to be able to, to get too much bigger. So we had this, this sort of weird little pendulum where we're trying to make her stronger, not, increase her size too much because the size would also start to degrade her running ability. Um, she got really, really strong. And uh, on the day of the test, um, I think she, she ran a 16 flat and that, I mean, and we know still now that like uh, if it takes a guy six months to, to train for that, it'll take a woman 12 months just because of hormones uh, you know, muscle size and, and just and when I say hormones, it's it's because of testosterone and recovery and things like that. It's it's very, very hard for women to put on the same muscle bulk size strength as a man, um, unless there's a, like a super outlier. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, again, you're looking at um, that and then there's, a, the, you know, the pack march, um, which, you know, she looked like, a large pack with legs um, most of the time. And um, the funny thing is with, with women though, and specifically in, in endurance events, the longer the endurance event um, unloaded, the better they get. Yeah. Because they've got higher, higher body fat stores, which allows them to, to go a little bit further. But anything unloaded, she was, she was great at, like body weight stuff and everything else. And she even adapted, I think, a fair bit to the torsion bar torture and everything else mm. around that. Um, for us, we always knew that she was never going to be first. And we tried to explain that to her was that like, you have to get really comfortable with being last and that's fine because if, you know, this someone always has to be last. And if you leave, then the guy that was second last will, will become last. Like there's, there's no shame in that. It's just that 
don't worry about things you can't affect. It's, it's, it will get you to the point where you can physically take as much as you can, but you're not going to win anything, you know, in physical because it's just, uh, yeah, it's just not there. Now we used DEXA scans to, to measure muscle bulk. We use nutritionists and dietitians to make sure the food intake. You've got to say something about Monica. There is probably not too many other people that are as detailed as she is, and she did all the work herself. Like, I I'm definitely would never take anything away from that. Like, you know, I can give two people the same program, and the adherence for that program is what matters. And, like, she did absolutely everything plus more. Um, she'd sleep well. She gave up, you know, entire 18 months of her life basically to, to chase this. Um, yeah. So she was, she was interesting. Um, and her first attempt, uh, I don't think we got it, uh, as correct as we did on the second one. Um, but it came down to, to body weight. It came down to her ability on, you know, on the, on the NAD stuff to, to her body, to be able to even fuel itself for that long physically, you know? Mm. Um, and I think she ended up walking, she passed out somewhere and she was having an out of body experience towards mm. the end. Um, and then she had that little nav uh, issue where I think she did a whole bunch of figure eights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which of course yeah. doesn't, doesn't help any of uh, the, the stuff you've just been talking about, you know, adding that, that uh, complexity on. She, uh, yeah. So you t- yeah. And, um, I do, <laughs> I don't know if you ever, uh, you might've heard this, but she, um, she used to really just uh she used to fucking assault the guys that would uh try and leave before her you know she'd you know she'd be into them she'd you know like how fucking dare you pull off you know for what i would do to have body weight of 85 kilos like you know, yes. look at me i'm 63 you know if you fucking leave now you're weak because you know it was great like and, and you had no excuse that was the best thing she gave anyone who was a kilo or two like heavier than her zero excuse you know brilliant she was she was brilliant. She's talked uh, about that a lot, actually, and she has this real bitterness in her voice when she talks about these, you know, <laughs> fit, strong front, co- uh, you know, front cover of Men's Health uh, yeah. guys who, you know, pulling themselves off on day day four. And in fact, on that, can we talk um, mind-body connection a little bit, Kev? In your experience on SA selection, I mean, in fact, we tell a little bit of the story about how all the the fit people are gone on day three or four. But can you talk a little bit about that mind-body? Uh, connection and you know maybe importantly in your view how uh, what what's the thing that people don't do right before they come on uh, a grueling physical and mental activity like SA selection I think in my experience of what I sort of witnessed was um, there was a a couple things I think goal setting or understanding what it's like to say I'm going to like, and it's a very army thing to do. I'm going to have a crack at selection. I'm going to mm. give it a go. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do selection. Whereas uh, Mark used to, the psych used to say like, what you need to do is like, you need to, that selection is a stepping stone to your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal needs to be, I'm going to be a patrol commander on operations leading, you know, this, this is, that's my goal. 
So selection is a stepping stone to get there. If you have a short-term goal, like I'm going to have a crack, I'm going to do selection. Once you're there and you're doing it, it becomes hard. Hmm. Ultimately, you've ticked that box subconsciously or consciously, whatever it is. And, and then people tend to, to leave the, and they've sort of set out, uh, they've achieved what they set out to do. Um, preparation was interesting as well. Like we worked really hard to make sure, like I think when I first got there, the 13-weeker was, you know, just... It is, I think people have attempted to write it a few times and it was like it had a CrossFit feel to it, then it had something else of a feel to it. And and I didn't think three months was long enough when we looked back at life in a battalion, life in a unit. It wasn't fair because there was exercises going on. There was all this stuff going on. So preparation for this needed to be drawn out. You know, in, in my experience, I thought six months would be fair. Mm-hmm. This would allow for an injury to be rehabbed, you know, knowing that soft tissue injury takes three to six weeks. This would allow for a, a four to six week exercise to get in the way. Um, and also understanding that there's no pure and proper preparation. There is always going to be hiccups. You need to, you know, you can't jump on a, you know, do the selection course or you can't do the start of the program. You can't we take a bite of a pie, put it down and say, right, I'm going to start. There is, there's varying steps that, that comes to it. There's, you need to be, you know, physically fit for sure. You need to be not only physically fit, but your body needs to be able to hold up to the absolute stressor and torture that that happens on that course. But then you have to be able to understand that like your body will take you physically to a point and then your mind's going to, like, that's going to be in charge. So, you know, unless you, I think unless you've seen the, the course itself and, you know, mm. watch these guys realise that like, you know, they've pushed physically further than they ever thought possible. And now their, their personality is, is taking over and their mindset's taking over. Um, and I think uh, a lot of guys didn't train for the worst case scenario. Mm. Um, you know, we used to watch guys come in with the worst preparation, you know, uh, and become very successful. And some guys would come in with great physical preparation and become unsuccessful. It was... Um, and I think luck comes into it as well. Mm. You, know, you fall over, you you know, you do any of those sort of things. But like, you know, I think with Monica as well, we we prove that being stronger, being fitter, you're you're pushing more luck on your side. So if you fall, you've got yeah. stronger ligaments and tendons, better bone density than a, a bad fall is just a bad fall. It's not a, a like a, a selection ending sort of injury, you know. Yeah, the harder um, I train, the luckier I get. <laughs> is that Sevi Ballesteros? I think. Very, very true. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and, and to, is, yeah. To, to the point you make, Kev, you know, so you're panelled as a candidate on SA selection course. You're sent the training program, mm. uh, and you know, you follow that to the letter, and it sets you up with good physical preparedness. Um, and you, you thought that the training program was the tide was out a bit. You, you thought there could have been a bit more. Yeah, so that, that's when um, I, I, that was one of the things I, I think. You know, I I like the most about my time there was like I, I got to put my hand in uh, and and do that. I think it's still like unfortunately, and I don't think this is a good thing. I think to this day it's still there. Like I think my the someone showed me the other day, and the the program hasn't changed since I wrote it, um, which is not a good thing because science changes all the time, and you know the way you can prepare, you can get smarter. Um, but yeah, like so, uh, Danny and I sat down and thought like, all right, how can we prepare this and we looked at energy systems we looked at like you know looked at the course and worked backwards from the from the task which is how i sort of design any program these days is what's the task and reverse engineer from the task and that and that's the way you get to the start and then you make your way all the way through um and then we looked at you know the you know, psychosocial effects of, of being in the army and knowing full well that you're not going to get monday to friday we're not going to get 
the perfect weekend. You're going to have to go away from exercises. Some units were really receptive to people training for selection. And as you know, there was others that just, you know, an officer that didn't do well on a selection course, therefore hated the unit for the rest of their life. Which, <laughs> you know, I, I really think the unit got so much better at handling officers off the course. You know, I think that I think something that was even spoken about was like, hey, the way these guys come in and view their unit and, and view the course is going to be the way they talk about it, you know, forever. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and I, I definitely think there was a, um, I guess, a mercenary aspect to that in terms of protecting the unit from from potential people who are going to go into to high positions later on that may hate the unit. But there was also, I think, um, a really important thing that people who have attempted a course like that, that's going to be a massive aspect of their life. And if they get spat out just thinking, no, you're terrible, you didn't make the grade, you know, that has a big, and I've seen friends of mine who have had this big sort of dent to their identity or who they are as a result of not passing selection and and so I think part of it also was to to make sure people you know it's you're not a bad person if you fail selection you're not even a bad soldier or officer it's just not what uh, the unit was looking for at the time so I, I think I was really pleased to see the way we treated people who exited the course um, mature over over the period that I had any uh, I, I was there oh, I, I, I Brought to like I, I'd never seen, you know, I think it's it's a real shame that you know a lot of the the defence force doesn't get to see just how forward thinking the unit is and just how when you take out a lot of not necessarily rank structure itself but that like that rule you know you're new or you're young therefore your your point is new like it you know that doesn't happen in the unit whatsoever um, and the openness of it all like how do we make this better and then we do have to take a real hard look at like even with females you know like. What's the value out of having a female? And, and like a, a real question, like, you know, do they physically look like, you know, like yourself or do they look like, you know, so if we're just going to make a carbon copy of a man that's already doing the job, like, what are we looking mm. for? And does the current model suit what we're looking for? Like, can we change it? And I remember that, you know, the fear of, well, what if we break or what, what if we change the course and we don't get what we've always gotten or, you know, um, if a female comes in, you know, what does that mean for, for everyone else that's ever done it before? And there was, a, there was a lot of these questions hanging mm. around that at the time as well. I thought, you know, it was, a, it was one of, I think it's the, the, it was a cool time to be there because you got to see the these two sides and it was, uh, it was just the, the fear of the unknown, but of this like real protectiveness of like, Hey, this is something special. We don't want to, you know, if we're going to change something, we, we better change it for the better. Mm. Um, and the physicalness, the physical preparedness of all this was was just one step I think uh, in taking it you know uh, into the future was like let's prepare as best we can let's let's treat these guys and girls the way they should be treated prepare them the way they should be treated because you know I want you want to give everyone the best possible chance um, when I left SASI I ended up going to uh, SFTC or I don't even, I don't know what the acronym is for it now SOTEC mm. or yeah, whatever but. Um, so this is the, the uh, training centre, the wider special operations um, training and education centre. And I think there was, you know, that's when I fully understood, like, you know, the job is, uh, you know, like on, on an entry test and all these guys and girls for the entry test and for selection, 
is to say, like, up until the start of this course, my job is to help you in any way possible, like make this course the easiest I can for you, both physically, you know, I'll give you all the information. I'm never going to hide anything from you. And we didn't hide anything. Like, really, if you wanted to know something about the course, you could ask. If you wanted to know something about the best way, you could ask. And, and I tried to make sure that everyone felt like, hey, yes, you know, and also at the same time, you want to you want to make them aware that, you know, I, if you should be looking for the answers opposed to asking for them all the time. Like, if you're not sure, please come and ask. But also, you know, the, the both units expect some sort of a self-starter in, in that nature. Um, but yeah, and I, that doesn't happen necessarily in, in every unit in the Defence Force, you know. Like, hey, I'm trying to give you a hand and... Um, yeah, I think SASR was, uh, you know, responsible for like the shift in physical preparedness, performance, uh, training, and like you know, in that, in that time, like the unit pushed so far that for, further than anything else I'd ever seen at the time. I think, you know, that was something I'm still very, very happy to be a part of uh, to this day. So, Kev, with that as the background, and and certainly the the time in the SAS. Um, you know, I, I agree. It was a, a time of really, um, I think, a lot of innovation and, and development. How has that translated into what you're doing now? So maybe if you could talk a bit about maybe '98 Gym and, and the Roosters, the current roles you've got, and how those lessons that you had from uniform um, have translated into your current roles. Yes. Yeah, so when, when I left, um, I, uh, I I met a. a, a this sounds weird. I met a guy in Perth. Um, uh, I met this guy in Perth uh, who was uh, doing a uh, Jim Jones course there. Like Jim, Jim Jones is a, mm-hmm. uh, a gym that was in Utah. Uh, Mark Twight started it. He was an alpinist and, uh, you know, like a, a figure, I guess, in he used to push himself away from the fitness community um, and just he was about strength and conditioning, but real, real life strength and conditioning and mountaineering, I guess. Uh, they had a course. We actually, I think we sent a couple of guys from the unit onto that course, um, Sully and a few other guys. Um, but I met this guy, Chris Feather, um, and he was um, a Northern Englishman. He played Super League um, and he was Russell Crowe's personal trainer at the time. Uh, he, he was he just started up this gym in, in Darlinghurst. Um, it was full of celebrities and models at the time. Um, and I would duck in and out, like when we were sort of doing SVETs or going in and out of Sydney, I used to duck in. Which, which category like, did you fit in, Kev? Celebrity or model? <laughs> uh, um, I think, you know, if they can see the picture of me right now, I think we know. Um, it's definitely male model of the year. Um, I just had a problem with being really, really, really good looking. Um, <laughs> and a uni turner. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I was an, I was an ambi-turner, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, but Chris, uh, we, we sort of agreed on this, like, hey, we what we loved about training was that um, it brought something else out of you, you know, the, the, the whole standard of, like, aesthetics and things like that uh, didn't sit well with me because, because of my time in, in, in the Army, especially in the unit, is that performance wasn't driven by aesthetics. Um, you know, aesthetics come as the result of your performance, but you don't have to look like the front cover of the model. And most of the time, these, these models and these guys and girls that are look perfect in the picture have no performance uh, at all when it comes to you know training. So we went, uh, we sat down, him and I, and he he was like, hey, "I'm going to buy the gym off Russell. I'm going to you know gut it completely. What do you think?" And you know, do you want to like have a part of this? And do you want to be like, do you want to write the program? Um, and it just started there. And 
So the program started, it was really, really hard because I went, I was hard down the line of like, you know, all right, well, if I ride it, I'm, 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 I want complete autonomy over the program. I'm going to ride it as the best possible we get to have in training in my view. So I want some strength in there. I want some power in there. I want lots of conditioning in there. The conditioning is not going to be fun. It's going to be purpose-driven. It's going to like, you know, it's an energy system development. So I want either anaerobic capacity or anaerobic power or I want aerobic power, aerobic capacity. It's it's not going to be no, you know, no cheerleading, no year baby, no celebration, mm -hmm. nothing. It's like it starts, you're going to drive your heart rate to, you know, an RP of nine. I used to say like a, a one is getting out of bed, a 10 is death. We'll just bring you back from death and just hold you there. Um, and that's what I want. And and because of the way you train, because of uh, the way you eat and the way you prepare, aesthetically, it'll take care of itself. Don't worry about it. Um, and I think that just resonated with people after a while because there was a purpose behind your training. Mm. So we used to say like, you know, you got to train hard, you got to train smart, but then take your physicality and go do something with it. Mm. So what we want is to is to make better humans in the end. We want to make someone who's capable of, you know, uh, playing with their kids for longer. We want to make people injury-free. We want to make them, you know, the, you know, a person that thinks well, does well, would just re repeat that cycle, you know, and that's... In the end, it was like, well, I need a purpose as well. Like, I need something to really dig my teeth into, and I need, like, I need to go somewhere with this. Otherwise, I'm going to float around and, and, and be very unhappy. Um, I even remember talking to your your wife, uh, Ben, and just she asked me, "How is it?" And I said, "Like, I'm having a real hard time understanding, you know, between what people say and what people do, and how none of that makes sense anymore, um, and how they they'll say a lot of things." And then nothing ever comes of it. Um, so I, I, we, we pushed down that way. And then we started to get a lot of requests asking for like, hey, can I get the training program? So I used to screenshot it with my phone, send it, send it. Um, and then, you know, we sat there one day and it's like, hey, it'd be really cool if we just, maybe we'll just get an app. Let's do, a, do an app. You know, that can't be hard. That's totally real simple, <laughs> you know. Um, and then if anyone's ever done that, you'll know that two and a half, three years later, after throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars down one way and trying to figure out you know what 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 you've done with that money and where it sits it mm -hmm. sits on this little little app on your phone And then uh, I just started to get, uh, I had a, a, like a couple of athletes come through the door, uh, rugby union in particular. Um, I had uh, Ben and Owen Franks um, and I started doing Owen's programming. Uh, so that got uh, sort of written to his contract that I, I'd be in charge of his strength and conditioning. And Owen uh, was playing for the Crusaders and the All Blacks at the time. Um, I didn't realize how pivotal that would be. Um, I, I ran into Owen when, when they were in um, in Perth, actually, for the first time against the force. Um, and uh, we actually argued over, like, the futility of CrossFit. You know, he was, like, he was doing CrossFit at the time. And I said, oh, I actually thought you'd be smarter. You know, like, what's the what's a, uh, a really light barbell 30 times overhead got to do with the fact that you're about to wreck someone on the field? Um, and that's where I got 
a message from his brother Ben saying, "I heard you were you know, you're paying out our training." And I was like, "Not at all. You know, I wasn't <laughs> wasn't teasing your programming." And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from their dad, Ken, and Ken was like, "I'd like to come over and talk to you." And so Ken flew over from New Zealand. Uh, I spent two days with him. And uh, I think when the day he went back to New Zealand, I got a phone call from Owen saying, "Dad, Dad says I have to train with you now," <laughs> um, and that's that's how it started. So after that, um, I got uh, Kepu, um, who was a, uh, a Wallaby front rower and good mates with Owen. And after a Bledisloe, um, the All Blacks defeated the Wallabies as as, as they do, <laughs> and. Um, uh, Keps asked Owen, like, what's he doing and in terms of training? Um, and then I got in contact with Keps. Uh, offer to go on with Fussy, who's, uh, who's an all black and, and a prop as well. Uh, and he just was talking through Owen. So I just started getting all these, these rugby guys coming through and um, training them. Um, and then Trent, uh, who's the coach of the Roosters, was training in 98 at the time. And um, he used to send me a couple of his players just off to the sides so that, you know, like I did. Uh, some of Boyd's stuff when he had um, some knee issues, uh, Lindsay Collins and a few others just off of the side. And then um, uh, I was actually getting quite sick and tired of um, of training people in the gym at this point. I, I was getting getting tired of, uh, you know, just just training people that, you know, like, had, we're going to, to the normal office and sitting down. I, I really, really love training athletes. It was just something about the, the definitive process of, well, I'll get to see the direct result of what I do on a Saturday or a Sunday. Mm. And if I fuck that up, I'll know about it. Mm. So I, I enjoyed that. And then Trent asked me on a, just over the phone one day, he's like, hey, what do you think about, um, you know, Work, working for the Roosters. I was like, yeah, I've, I've got a couple of hours, you know, in the week, you know, if you want to throw me some more players, I could probably handle it. And he was like, no, I was thinking more of the fact that like you come on as this head of strength and power of the Roosters. And uh, I didn't even ask how much, what for. I was just like, yes, yep, <laughs> yep. And he goes, well, obviously we'll meet and talk about the contract. I'm like, no, nah, that's cool. Uh, yep, I'm happy. <laughs> um, and I talked with Trent just having coffees beforehand. And as it usually goes, I'm, I usually find out after the fact, just how great these people are. Like Trent's not only a, a great football coach, he's just a, a world leader in my, in my mind of, of like where a coach should be. Like he's just, he thinks outside the box. He's highly intelligent and he'll have you thinking about something three or four weeks after he said something and he'll hmm. just click at some point. Like he's very, very good like that. So um, yeah, that's, that's how I come across uh, you know my way into to professional sport. And it's, no, I've, I've again learned tenfold uh, of what I thought I knew and I, and I do every day. Um, the head of performance uh, they had previously, Travis Tuma, um, who we now hired at 98 as well. So Travis now works for us. He's now head of performance at uh, South Sydney. Um, and now, uh, so I, I learned heaps of Trav um, and Trav had spent 13 years with the, with the Roosters previously. We've now got uh, Dave Mitson as head of performance and Dave's been through AFL, cricket, athletics, you know. So I'm just so lucky to be in a spot where um, I'm surrounded. Everyone I'm surrounded with is basically smarter than me. That's the, that's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but my, mind you, along the way, that, that the reason I think it all started and the way I got to where I was is because uh, like my time at SASR. So I got... 
I got really exposed to such great stuff. And in such a short amount of time, I got like just, you know, oh, I wasn't spoon fed. I don't know how. So I was just basically a funnel shoved down my throat <laughs> and like the information I got to handle and, and just being surrounded with, you know, by guys like yourself and, and Harry and uh, Coops and, you know, all the guys, like they're just, you know, you, you look at these men and you think, you know, every single day I love going to work. Um, you know, and my partner at the time, Sam, um, she used to, she hated it because I'd, I'd go to work extra early because um, I enjoyed it. And I used to, used to train the girls in the morning. Yeah. Um, I'd be there at, you know, five. As soon as I get home, I'd be on the phone to either Trems or Campo or to, to Lachlan or they'd come over and we'd spend time and I could, I could talk performance and that type of stuff all day long. Um, it's funny enough, Coop's never called, but you know, that's, he's never really good at that stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was that time that set me up, I think more than anything else, because I realized a, what the human body is capable of and what performance looks like. You know? Kev, really interested. So, you know, your time in SASR, there's obviously a sort of definitive end state for what we're preparing for in the military. Likewise, in your rugby union, now at the Roosters, in the league, there's a there's an end state. Really interested in that bit in the middle when you're programming for the the general population. And you, you mentioned the end state is to be a better human, you know, to, to be able to, to be injury-free, to spend more time with your kids, to live longer, etc., what does the difference look like in terms of programming? Are we talking massive focal differences or just differences of degree rather than kind? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really good question because a lot of people ask, like, you know, where our tagline for nine out is train like an athlete. And, and that it's because there's a, a, it's a, a all of person approach of, you know, we've got three pillars for, for our success, which is physical. You need to be physically able to be, to, you know, to, to be happy and healthy. Um, you need to have a community around you that supports that physical endeavor that understand that like this way of thinking and living is, is good for you. Like, so you need a strong community. And then we talk about like cognitive functional or, or constantly learning. Um, so that's when like, you know, Coots, uh, uh, he writes for, for 98 and um, we have a, a dietitian um, and we've got other guys that come in and girls that write for us as well. So we have this, this three-pronged approach about physical preparedness, uh, community of like-minded people, and a knowledge section, and a, like an improvement of like uh, learning another skill, understanding why you're doing something, how, how it happens, so you have this ownership of it, um, and it, you know, it comes down to you know uh, what do you want, like what do you want? Let's let's solve that problem. You know, so it might be I want to be, you know. Uh, I want to be injury free. I want to feel fitter and healthier and, and happier. So I, you just look at, uh, you go into your toolbox and you pick up the tools that are appropriate for that, for that job. You know, much like it was at, at work for you guys. It's, it's, it's not about, you know, um, you have to do this. You have to do this. You're like, well, the end state is here. How we get there needs to be manipulated for that individual and mm-hmm. that person. And the best thing about training is, is like, okay, well, if, it, if there's an injury in their way, um, like we'll find a way and solve the problem. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's what, you know, I, again, I keep going back there, but SASR was very driven on like solution 
you know, let's just find a solution, solve the problem, work the solution, and off you go. And that's the way, that, like your training as well. Like, don't don't tell me what I can't do. Tell me what I can do. Mm. Show me what I can do to get the job done. And don't worry about what I can't do. It's pointless. Um, but everyone needs to be fit and strong. You know, in, in some degree, it doesn't need to be fitter and stronger like an athlete. But you do need to be fitter and stronger than you were last year or the year before, because there's a, there's a degradation that happens over time as well. So I'm, when I and I'm, when I think when I talk about strength, I'm talking about for me, I picture ligament and tendon strength, like the you know uh, the tensile strength in a muscle. That's that's how I think. I don't, I, I'm not picturing the size of a muscle. Um, and I don't think people are aware just what of they, they can do until they push their mental boundaries with with fitness. You know. Uh, and as simple as, uh, as as testing as well. So if you don't have a goal for us every 13 weeks in the gyms and on the app, like we test every 13 weeks. So you know there's a test coming. And, and it's funny because when you say the word test, it freaks people out. You know, uh, people get scared, but in a, in a good way too. You know, mm-hmm. they get prepared. They figure out what it's like on, on, on a testing day. And um, But how you get there and what the test looks like for say for yourselves and for me and for someone else, you know, the numbers will be different, but the results going to be the same in terms of, well, did I get stronger? Yes or no. Do I feel fitter? Do I feel more capable? You know, am I, uh, did I better my results from last time? Did I stay the same? And then, you know, I've got to ask the question, did I do enough work? And, you know, did I put the effort that is required to get the results I wanted? And then like, all right, if you didn't, let's go again. If you did, that's great. Let's push further. Hmm. Um, so that, that, that's, that's how I program it. And it's, uh, there's, there's so much bullshit and myths out there too about training, you know, specifically for women. Um, you know, when you look at Monica and Monica trained the house down and she used to love saying like how jack she was and how big she was. And if you picture the smallest human getting around earth, like that's, you know, um, she used to like flex her biceps at me and I just like just to squeeze them and just try to pop them. Um, but yeah, she used to joke about it, but she, uh, women are really afraid of this, this physicality and it, it's not as much as they used to be. Like, I think that's being pushed aside mm. to somewhat, but it's, it's still this fear. And then, uh, so I do work really hard on trying to crush myths, but I'm also really working hard on just ignoring some of the stuff that's out there. And just we're saying, well, we don't talk about body weight. I never talk about aesthetics. I would never, you know, have a six week challenge or an eight week challenge that required you to weigh yourself in and weigh yourself out because that's not performance driven. Um, you can't, that's I, not. I was actually going to hit you up to, um, to get back into swimsuit sort of shape for summer but that that's obviously not your your area mate <laughs> no no <laughs> you might want to hit um hit f45 i've got a good one um it, the problem is there is that there's already enough stress on in people and there's this idea of what they think they should look like or, or act like or train like whereas if if they just knew that like if i uh, if i do something good in the morning I feel good. And when I feel good, I end up thinking good and doing other good things that just roll on throughout the day. And it's, it's like, you know, it's really basic psychology. You're like, do well, think well, do well, think well, and off you go. And, and you know, it's also about like, you know, I love watching people uh, crush a time or do something they didn't think possible and then remind them like, you know, if you can do that here, you can take this lesson and, and apply it to other areas of your life. It's just about time you know intensity and then just working at it and then eventually you'll, you'll, you'll bust through you know you learn a new skill you practice the skill you worked really hard 
and you beat something and that's that's you know it's not too far off what you can do everywhere else you know Jim, you prepared Candice Warner for SAS Australia. Were the principles you use there similar to that program that gets sent out to candidates about to undertake the real SA selection? How did her training differ to what Candace you saw Candice and, and Monica are so similar. It's scary. Um, it's not good for my mental health, uh, to be honest. Fuck. Candice, um, Candice was the youngest Iron Woman ever we've had in mm. Australia. She, she went pro at 14. Mm. Um, she grew up, you know, and not a, like an easy uh, easy life, like saying her parents provided, but like that, they, they weren't wealthy. She worked in a, uh, in a surf shop before and after training. I think in year nine or year 10, the teachers politely told Candice that school probably wasn't for her. Um, you know, and then sponsorship back in the day wasn't, mm. you know, wasn't big cash. It's so she used to do Iron Woman training and then go and work at a surf shop and a paddle paddleboard shop uh, throughout the day. So um, she had, she has this mindset of like, it's just the fuck you mindset. And when I say that, she's like, I can't do it. Right, fuck you. Watch this. <laughs> um, and she's really, really pleased to prove people wrong. Um, and I think she's pivotal in why Dave is where he's at in his career as well. Um, Cause uh, I podcasted them once and I think it's the biggest downloads we've ever had, but she basically said to Dave, like, hey, if we're going to remain together and I'm going to sacrifice my career so you can have yours, you better train and act like an athlete because what you're doing now isn't training and acting like an athlete. Like an athlete doesn't have 10 beers a night and do all this sort of stuff. Um, so she she has a mindset that not many other people have. Um, and when she when she decided to do the show, um, so she, she just said, I don't care what I have to do. I just want to do well. So whatever I have to do. So I, I did exactly what I did with Monica. I, I tested her to see where she was. And Candice won't mind me saying this, but she came in with zero pull-ups and she thought she was going to nail it. And then at the end of the testing, she was like, oh shit. I was like, well, hey, this is like just basically a, a smaller version of what we do on selection or how we would test for selection. So this is where you are. We've got this amount of time and this is where we're going to go. Um, again, like, but, but yeah, she, she didn't care what she looked like. So I, I gave her a pack. Um, so, and we filled it with a couple of bags of rice. Um, and I said to her like three times a week, either walk here to the gym or whatever you're going to do, but you need to do this. So she would come in from Coogee all the way to Darlinghurst with a pack on, you know, didn't care what she looked like. She said that she had earphones in, so she didn't hear the abuse on the way in. And, um, she just did everything she was told plus more. Um, and it was really interesting, but you know, it, and it, again, as, as silly as it sounds on that show, she just hit that point where she, when she got removed, she was happy about it, but she also knew that they removed her for the right reasons. She said, I wasn't going to be able to go any further. And I think they removed her because it, heights really freak Candace out. Mm-hmm. Like she shakes uncontrollably. And this is one of those, those irrational fears that she's, uh, she's sort of had for her entire life. Um, but yeah, she like 
uh, yeah, I was super proud of Candice. I, I think, um, you know, her and Dave are constantly in the limelight. There's not a thing they do that isn't followed and, and hammered by the paparazzi. Um, lots of people don't know, but Candice, she doesn't have a, uh, she doesn't have a maid. She doesn't have, um, you know, anyone that takes the kids to school or takes care of the kids. She does all that herself, um, even though that, you know, they easily could afford any of that. She doesn't want that excuse to get in the way. So she does, she used to train at five in the morning before the girls woke up, would go home because her brother would come and watch the kids while she was at training, go home, prepare the girls for school, take the girls to school, drop them off. And if we were going to do another training session, she'd do it while the girls were at school and she'd come home and, even to this day, you know, she was on the phone to me a couple of nights ago. Uh, same sort of thing. She's like, well, you know, I want to start training again. She's paddling again as well. I think she's going to probably mm-hmm. compete uh, this year. Um, but, yeah, she's uh, – it's just mindset. That's all it is for her. Um, it's, it's just pure mindset. And she's got real respect for, um, uh, for the job and, and for the people. Her mm-hmm. brother, I believe, was um, – one of the pilots in the uh, the Blackhawk crash. Hmm. Interesting. How long did you have to get her prepared? COVID interrupted a fair bit, so I think it, it washed out to about six months. Um, but there was a period there, obviously, when gyms were shut. Um, so Candice just rocked up to my house, um, and then she just trained out of like out of the courtyard, hmm. and that's the way it was. So I think we ha- we had about six months, um, and she had to go away at some point as well. Dave was traveling at the time. Um, but yeah, she physically, she did really well on the course. I think uh, Ant and Foxy were quite impressed with all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she, she prepared really well. And I, I again, it was uh, as an athlete herself, she enjoyed having a task to really attack. Mm. You know? And I think most people enjoy that as well. I think having a goal at the end of all this, like she, she quite enjoyed. Speaking of all of that, I mean, Kev, you obviously practice what you preach. I mean, anyone who's clicked onto the the 98 Street Gym um, Instagram would see, buddy, millions of photos of you lifting, buddy, the equivalent weight of a small car. Always deadlifting too. A lot of deadlifting. A lot of, a lot of deadlifting. Not much running, Kev. I, it, no. you, you're going to sort of show a few distance runs in there somewhere? <laughs> oh, it's not really great bait, is it? Just long runs of... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, get boring. But um, <laughs> probably, yeah. The conditioning is is an important part. It really is. Um, I do a lot of jujitsu now, um, and that that takes up a like lot of like. I don't generally like you know, my ankles aren't super great. Um, mm. Ripped and dislocated one uh, last year. So again, courtesy of a, an early parachuting career, probably doesn't <laughs> doesn't help that. But what what I was going to ask is is what's your sort of current personal goal? What are you training towards, and and how's your your own sort of training going? Yeah, so, um, you know, COVID willing, it's just to compete. So I want to, um, there's a couple of comps uh, coming up in, uh, this year for jiu-jitsu. Um, so I'd like to, to compete in a gi and no gi things again. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's the fact that something like that scares me enough to get up and train. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that I'm going to be confronted by someone else who I'm assuming is going to train harder than I will. So I need to keep putting like my foot down. 
Um, you've got to make weight. You've got to be in great shape. There's a technical skill about it as, as, as far, you know, as long as there is, as well as, sorry, there is a, a physical part about it. Um, and I like jujitsu because you can get pretzeled by someone half your size. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a real chess sort of game. Um, and it's, it's combative in a way. You know, I get to legally choke someone, you know, which is always nice. Mm. We, we recently spoke with Harry Garside, the, the Tokyo Games bronze medalist boxer, um, on that aspect of, you know, I guess that intimacy and that, that added sort of um, vulnerability of a, a combat sport. And I, I think that that what you're describing there, that uh, I guess humility you can get from recognising that, that, yeah, you know, people can be weapons and, and the least uh, the, the least sort of powerful looking person can as you said turn you into a pretzel also pretty good mindfulness moment when you're getting asphyxiated <laughs> <laughs> it usually helps when you're passed out though. you can get very very calm as you're asleep on a mat <laughs> yeah nice and relaxed can we talk to the business of 98 Jim what are you doing to expand the knowledge Kev yeah so um, the Finding staff is always the hardest thing, you know, like trying to, to, to get to get people to where you want to go with the business. Um, so I, I run the training for the staff that we have. So all the, all the franchises, we've got uh, a gym in Darlinghurst, a gym in Bondi, one in Melbourne, one in Brisbane, and, and a couple more on the way. So uh, the idea is then is that we have every quarter, we have a framework day where we bring all the coaches in to, to 98 and we just upskill. So um, not only like, so we'll interview them um, before putting them into franchises, um, but there's a, an ex, uh, I guess it's like any type of interview, or, you know, like almost like a, you know, interview that you do, uh, uh, you know, on selection is that like, I want to know, okay, why do you want this job? How, you know, what do you know about the business? You know, why, you know, what can you tell me about 98 and how it works and where it's going? So I want to know that they actually have, you're invested into it as well. And then, um, then it's on me to say, okay, so where's the still, uh, where's the skill at? Where do I need it to be? And we don't want to be following trends. We want to be the trend. As in, like, I want to be inputting on, into the industry what I want to see coming out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the best thing I can do for the industry, and as much as I, I don't think I'm a part of the fitness industry, I, I don't particularly like it uh, as much. You know, and, and I'm saying that not because I think it's um, I think its current model isn't uh, isn't where it needs to isn't where it should be because we do uh, like as an industry really get to touch lots and lots of people um, in a very very intimate way and a very very vulnerable way. We've got to be very very careful and have to be super knowledgeable how we do things. We're not only there just physically, whether you like it or not. You in you you're listening to people's issues. You're, mm. you're, you're pushing them down. Uh, you know, like a path of physicality. You have to be quite qualified, uh, in my mind, to spend this this sort of amount of time with people. So, um, for me, I think the best thing I can do is upskill as many coaches as I can to understand that, like you know, you need to be brilliant at your job and deliver better, you know, really good coaching. Um, and I guess the model behind ninety eight is is not um, not just the program. The program is great, but if anyone followed the program consistently, they would do well. It's how that program is coached. So how how those guys and girls that come into the gyms, what, what you know, what sort of coaching are they given what sort of skills are they, they being imparted and like how good of our coaches and that's that's what i love to hear is that i want people to walk in and be like Fuck, you know like i just learned something I, I i've been squatting for years and i learned today how to do it better 
I learned how this position changes or I, like this actually makes more sense to me now. And I want people to be empowered, especially clients and, and people that go to the gym to walk away and to, to be better than they, than they came in. I think, you know, the idea for me is to always leave it better than I found it, I guess. So I'm talking about the, you know, the industry there. It's interesting, and and you've sort of joked about CrossFit and F forty five in this this conversation, and certainly as a just relative a joke out there, very very joke. Just make yeah, sure yeah, we're yeah, aware yeah. That's a big joke. Yeah. But <laughs> as a as a relatively early adopter of CrossFit, seeing it evolve from something quite niche, quite uh, like you know high skill in terms of the coaching and the the training methodologies, um, almost by necessity, as it expanded, it kind of diluted in in terms of the level of coaching and that sort of thing. And you, you mentioned, you know, it's hard to get good uh, trainers for, for 98. So clearly you want to keep that, that niche level up. But would you not also agree that something like F45, because it is so big and, you know, gets a lot of people doing something, you know, is, is there not an aspect that kind of something's better than nothing? So even if you go to a CrossFit gym or an F45 or whatever's on your street corner, it, it may not be that same caliber, but it, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. So, and when I talk about this, I'm talking about the onus is on the coach to always want more, you mm-hmm. know, so not the guy or the girl that's going into these gyms. I think, you know, lots of, lots of times it's so confusing. So if you were to go to a gym, you don't know what you're getting until you go somewhere else, or, you know, so hundred percent, like if you're doing anything, it's, it's always better than doing nothing always. Um, and where I'm coming from is like, I want the coaches of all these organizations to not just be okay with like, well, that's what I got. That's what I got told. That's what I'll do, and then that's the end of it. You yeah, know, right. I want coaching standards to be high. I want people, you know, who are in charge of large large groups of exercise, not to walk past someone who's injured their back or has shitty technique. You know, like stop, spend the time, learn how to communicate that in the fifteen or twenty seconds you have with them, and that's you know that's that's interacting. That that's that's a coaching skill that yeah. you can develop. It's not yeah. hard. It's um, that's the issue. Is that it's not the gyms itself. It's not the programs themselves. Because, you know, as you know, anything you do poorly is probably, you know, you're going to injure yourself and you can have someone who does a deadlift or two people that do deadlifts. One person does it well and they love the lift. One person does a deadlift, hurts their back, but bad, you know, deadlifts are then bad for your back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's down to coaching and technique. So um, that's why I, I, you know, that's where I'm coming from. I want that the coaching fraternity to be great. Kev, we asked this of a few of our guests. When you're in the gym, Lifting a small car. What's your power song? Oof. Look, um, I would have said something different, but in the last couple of weeks, say Jason Rolls is an assistant coach now here, and uh, he'll on repeat. It's just "Working Class Man" by Barnsley. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's the same as Harry Garside. Yeah, so um, it's yeah, yeah. We, li- we we drove here from from Sydney to Mullum and. Um, uh, I'll say an easy 10 times that, that was on repeat. Um, <laughs> and that, this morning on the way to training too, we were sitting there and he's like, ah, oh, how good's this song? Like you just, 
you can't have a bad day when you start it. Um, so it is true, yeah. Or anything by ACDC, I don't think they've ever gotten anything wrong either. Uh, Kev, thanks very much for being on the Unforgiving 60 podcast. My pleasure, guys. My pleasure. Now to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60.